Hey there, Life Uplifters! I'm Astuti Marto Sudirjo. Welcome to Uplift My Life Today, the podcast where you can find inspirations and tips to uplift you and your life. It is my belief that intentional living is about getting to know and experiencing oneself and the depth of one's soul. This journey indeed is lifelong. Many of us evolve and reinvent ourselves throughout life with this intention. We change our professions and the role we play be it as a parent, a grandparent, a carer, whatever it is, to facilitate that. This episode is the first of two parts conversations with Jehan de Soiza. Jehan is a trainee eye surgeon from Perth, Australia, whose past evolution includes nine years of serving others as a monk in Europe, Asia, and South America. I first met Jehan over 20 years ago when we both were university students. Jehan truly has had a remarkable life journey. After completing degrees in management and medical science, he left all of his possessions, the people and the places he knew and loved behind to dedicate himself to years of training as a monk in both Europe and India. As a monk, Jehan spent years traveling the world, teaching and inspiring students, business people and other educators. He also developed service-based projects across South America as a director of a humanitarian organization. Jehan eventually stepped aside from his ascetic life, returning to Australia where he qualified as a doctor. These days, he's married with two beautiful children and works as a trainee eye surgeon. I'm super excited to share my conversation and reflection with Jehan about his life journey, as well as to gain insights on meditation, self-growth, success, and happiness. Enjoy! Hey Jehan, welcome! Thanks, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Welcome to Uplift My Life Today podcast. This is a long time coming. You are one of the most interesting people I know personally in this planet. (laughs) Okay, this is just a disclaimer. Jehan and I met in 1995. I was a university student in Indonesia and Jehan in Australia in Perth and we both were studying business and we met through an organization called ISF. A couple of years after we met, Jehan started all this wonderful venture in in his life. Today, he is a... I'm what's called a surgical registrar, which officially means I'm training to be a surgeon. 
Yeah. But I'm, yeah, I'm a medical doctor and I work as a doctor and as a trainee surgeon. And in particular, I'm training in ophthalmology, which is eye surgery and medicine. However, that is not the thing that he has always done in his life since we met in 1995. So Jehan had a you know, a, a venture in his life where I just thought, wow, okay, this is something I want a lot of us to, to learn about or hear your story. So, Jehan, what you, why don't you fill us in between 95 and <laughs> <laughs> to become a surgeon? <laughs> yeah, so um, I think the adventure really began for me uh, as a teenager and with a, with a kind of burning and a, and a yearning to find out and a curiosity and and things that you know, lots of teenagers have that that idea that I'm going to go out to the world, I'm going to find something, I'm going to do something great. And as you know, we met in business school, and yeah. uh, I did complete a business degree, and I, I I worked for a little while in the field of business, but I really had a burning passion. I thought I want. There's a couple of things I really want to do, and one of them is I want to find out about the essence of life. I want to find out what the meaning is, what's the deepest meaning I can find about life. And yeah. I want to travel the world. I want to see the world and and not just travel it as a tourist. I want to be a part of it and absorb it and learn from others and really soak it in. And I also want to do something positive. So all these things were in my mind. And I had this long standing idea that I would be a doctor. Um, so a bit after, um, yeah, a bit after working, finishing a business degree where you and I met, I undertook a medical science degree, and yeah. that was at the University of Western Australia here in Perth. Yeah. And while I was completing that degree, I, so I had the intention that I would be a medical doctor, and while I was completing that degree, I was living in the residential college, actually, and I, I had this role of academic tutor and a kind of residential tutor and so I met I was interacting with a lot of different people in the college environment students from all over the world but also people who'd come come to Perth to study from rural areas and and I met another guy there who'd uh, you know I got talking to him about meditation now meditation is something I'd been interested in for a long time mm -hmm. and I'd learnt meditation uh, here in Perth from a, a really a great teacher actually uh, one of the Buddhist our base teachers called Eric Harrison, and I'd been dabbling along in it. But what this student told me what really sort of captured my imagination. He said, look, you know, I practice meditation every day. It's had a revolutionary effect on my mind. I've been able to improve my studies. And I said, look, you know, that's what I'm about. I also want to learn meditation. So he took me to, to visit an Indian monk who was living in Perth at the time, living in the city we lived in. Mm -hmm. And he was an acharya, and the, the meaning of that uh, word acharya literally can be taken as teacher, but the deeper meaning is one who teaches by example. And what this monk told me really made sense. He said, philosophically, there's only one human family. All the religions and all the philosophies that we make to divide human beings are really arbitrary. They're things we've just come up with as as human beings. But the truth is. We're one human family. Our yeah. purpose is a spiritual purpose. And the way that we can tap into this inner level of spirituality, to this deep, connected spirituality within us, is yeah. to do meditation. 
And I was really excited by that idea. And I said, yes, that is what I want. Now, at the time, I was pretty athletic. I used to eat three or four bacon and egg sandwiches for breakfast. And I would ride my bike eight kilometers down to the beach. And I would swim in the ocean. And then I would jump back on my bike. I'd ride back. I would have a shower, have this huge breakfast, and, and get on to my university study. So I was really driven and disciplined, as you know, and you'd remember me from the old days. Um, But the teaching of this monk was going to have a very revolutionary effect on me, and it really did. So um, he taught me this technique of meditation, and he taught me also some yoga asanas, some some postures, some yoga postures, you know, what we commonly call yoga. And uh, he said, you've got to practice this every day. And I said, I will practice it every day. And he said, if you practice it every day, you will find it out, find out for yourself. You don't need to take my word for it. This is going to change you and help you. And so I did that. And I really, I took it up in earnest and I started practicing really sincerely. But aside from the the exercises and the meditation, I also began to change my diet and become more conscious about what I was eating. I became a vegetarian. I stopped eating foods that were considered static and and having a a heavier influence on the mind. I stopped drinking alcohol and I began a long journey that was really to take me far away from the kind of lifestyle I'd been living as a young man in Australia. So that was how it began. Now, where did that take me? Can I I ask you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So what do you think happened when you were doing this asana every day? What was clicking that it leads you to all these other changes? Yeah, so what happened? When I started to practice that meditation, I started to, I felt like this is a really strong practice. And the asanas, the postures, I felt like I needed this posture. What what this does for me every day, it completely changed my mental position every day internally and it completely changed how I felt every day and when I if I compared a day when I did my meditation and did my asanas and did all these things to start the day bright and early how I felt through the day was completely different and I Mm. felt like I need this this is something which is like a it was sort of like a perfect tonic for me if you like it changed I felt all this tension kind of that I would I would accumulate in my body it would kind of dissipate with these asanas and mentally I felt like the whole my whole mental disposition my whole perspective if you will was just Mm -hmm. really dramatically starting to shift and the more I got into it the more I felt I need this practice this is what I've been looking for right so you initially got interested in meditation for something and you get something way bigger yeah look um I, I came to meditation in a very similar place that I think, you know, I had this this curiosity for, you know, spirituality and for, you know, what what is the deepest part of, of human existence? I want to find out about that. But more than that, I thought, you know, meditation, it's going to help me relax. It's going yeah. to help me focus yeah. in my work. It's going to help me become successful in the things that I'm really motivated to become successful at. Um, And at that time, it was about, you know, achieving something in the world, doing something about becoming a a doctor, about making a change, but also about doing something at a very high level. I think I always had that drive. Yeah. I think even when we met at the business school, you always had that, even then. 
Yeah. So, um, I mean, the, the meeting that we met at was really the, the product of, um, of part of that kind of ambition and that, that interest in really reaching out and uh, connecting. And I think it was a kind of historic meeting, wasn't it, in its own way, that it, it, it connected and brought down all uh, this fantastic group of energetic people from Indonesia and connected them. And we had, we had government on board, we had universities on board, we had business on board, and we had all this support to do something fantastic and, yes. and really um, take that, that cooperation and that partnership to a new level, which we did. <laughs> yes. And here we are, we're the, we're the result of that, uh, that, of that, of that, the inception of that idea, really, aren't we? Down the track here, 20 years. So, um, Meditation. Yeah, so, so getting onto that story, yeah. So the meditation for me, it really grew from there. It was a, it was a real catalyst for me. I started to change. I started to change my habits. The things I was thinking started to change, and I thought it was a difficult decision. But I decided that I really wanted to delve more deeply into meditation, and not just meditation, but this whole side of my life that I hadn't had the opportunity to kind of grow up and. And that led me three quarters of the way around the world. I ended up in South America just sort of volunteering. And then I was in Brazil at the time. I remember it very clearly the day I decided, no, I'm going to go and enter this yoga monastery. You know, this is, I just felt this burning desire that that's what I must do. And it, it was a kind of inner conflict in the same because I, I didn't want to go away from all the things I loved. I had some fantastic friends. I was came from a very strong family, and it would mean that I had to sort of leave all these things behind. But I finally brought it up to a point when I felt like, you know what, this is just, I have to do it. I have to do it. And from there in, I made my way across to Sweden and entered into a, a very tough program of uh, at a yoga monastery which is in a, in a very small place called Idra Fors in yeah. a small village in Sweden, which is in the forest, you know, in, in a cold, cold country and a beautiful place, a peaceful place, but a place where I entered into this really intense kind of training. <laughs> and I ended up spending, yeah, I ended up spending, you know, more than three years there in Sweden. When you think of yoga, you wouldn't necessarily think of Sweden, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah. there must be a reason why there is a monastery there. And is that something you choose to go to Sweden or there are a couple of other options to go? There, are, there are other centers which were, were doing the same kind of training. There was There's a, a training in, in the Philippines, in Davao. In India, there's a few centers. And yeah. um, I think in Kenya or Nairobi, there might have been a center as well. But it just sort of came together for me that Europe would be the place. And I, I think it, it actually matched me quite well because it was a, amongst uh, the people who were training there. You know, there were people from all over Europe. There were people from the USA and uh, there were people from Australia where I came from. And there were people from Asia as well. There was a couple of people from Korea, from Singapore. Um, so it was a really an eclectic bunch of minds, actually, all focused on the same goal, but with coming from very different backgrounds. So it was a really a very good place to expand on many levels. Yeah, what you're telling me is when you did the voluntary work in Brazil, you decided to be a monk. Is that what it is? 
Yeah, so I, I decided that I wanted to undertake the training, which was essentially becoming a monk and living as a monk and, and involved. When I went across to Sweden there, I gave away everything that I had. I had obviously my the possessions I had with me, which wasn't very much, uh, sort of a backpack full of stuff. And I, I had a few thousand dollars, which I'd saved up for this kind of odyssey that I was on. And I ended up just giving that all away. And I wrote a letter. I really didn't didn't have the courage to tell my tell my family to their faces that I might not see you again for a long time. But I just wrote my parents this long letter, and I said, "Look, I'm going into this monastery. I hope you can understand uh, the reasons. But I'm doing it because I I think it will be a really important step for me right. to learn these things." So yeah. So you went from Brazil directly to Sweden. You didn't even stop by in Australia. You just no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I had I had a round the world ticket actually. So I, yeah. using this this ticket, I had to keep going in the same direction. So I flew to Copenhagen, and from Cape Copenhagen, I made my way up to to, to uh, small London, Sweden. Well, it's a, a very different world, isn't it? Being a monk, a completely different world. In fact, it was a completely different world. And the first moment of me arriving in this place, I just felt like it was. It was actually not like going into a peaceful setting. It was like going into a place where you lose everything, and it's an intense conflict of the mind. It's an intense conflict at an emotional level. It's an intense conflict at a psychic level. So it was really. I still think the greatest challenge I faced in my entire life, actually, to adjust in that environment, the yeah. very intense discipline, the the very bare bones kind of existence that we had of really simple, hard life, a disciplined life. Yeah. When you know a typical day there would see us, we'd wake at four. The day would take in about five hours of meditation a lot of hard work, study, uh, working together, a lot of collective activities, so doing things together, cooperating with people from all over the world who speak different languages, who think differently, but moving together essentially. But a fantastic opportunity, a really incredible opportunity to learn. And two dedicated trainers, they're just really calling the shots, if you will, of how things will run, but also watching us very closely, engaging with us very deeply and directing us in many ways about how to deepen our practice and how to improve ourselves. And the feeling I got in this environment is definitely the meditation and the aspect of going deep in meditation was at the forefront. But beyond that, It was kind of like your personality is getting ground down in many ways and many things about yourself. You know, here here in the in the material world, we've got all our things and we've got all this padding, you know, and we can yeah. we can eat when we want, we can eat what we want, we can do what we want, we can distract ourselves however we want. But it was like peeling away all the distractions, not only of the external world, but also that we have within ourselves and really a kind of confrontation ensues and a confrontation is a confrontation with yourself ultimately which yeah, was yeah. really um, yeah fantastic opportunity for me but also one of the most difficult times of my life some very high points and some very difficult points as well and 
I definitely learned a lot, but I also shed a lot of tears. I had a lot of solace and a lot of time to reflect and to understand, but also to clarify my own values Mm -hmm. and understand what I, you know, where I was in myself, uh, not just where I was in the world, but where I was with myself. So I think it was really, um, I remember one day sort of being in the garden, you know, and we'd, we'd spend the the summer we'd spend cutting wood and sort of stockpiling these sheds because it's so freezing cold there. You've, you've got to sort of have a way to get through these negative 20 winters of thick snow. And, and we'd also sort of plant some vegetables. And I remember one day sort of looking around and seeing all the, you know, all the brothers in the monastery were sort of working in this uh, and uh, the trainers were working as well mm-hmm. and thinking, what did I do to deserve this opportunity? You know, this is just an opportunity that not many people get in a very pristine place, a very small village, with probably 30 houses in the forest. Just an incredible setting, an incredible setting to um, to go deep in meditation and to understand the value of those ancient practices. What helps you to go through this radical change you did mention that when you arrive it's it's uh, there's a lot of inner conflict coming into an environment which is the i think it's fair to say it's the opposite of the type of environment you are very familiar with for many many years for decades right what helps you to go through that and how did you do it well i think what really drove me was i felt that I was going there from the deepest realization that I could reach in myself. So the deepest thing I could find in myself was this is a very important choice for you. And it's a very important step. It didn't mean that there wasn't a lot of resistance. It didn't mean that there wasn't a lot of difficulty even within myself. It wasn't that I was perfectly aligned with that. It was that I felt this is the right thing for you to do despite the obvious the enormous difficulty that it's going to take you to do it so i think the determination to follow that really deep feeling and that really deep realization and thought that this is the number one path for me to follow that's what drove me so there was a real determination and a commitment to that Mm -hmm. idea and then beyond that you know, having people around you who are committed to those ideals, who are working together, who are helping you, they're also creating issues for you. I mean, they're also not that it's a conflict-free environment. It's not that there's not things to be worked out. But ultimately, you can take a lot of inspiration by seeing other people demonstrating the kind of qualities you want to develop. And I think that was a, a real a real beauty of that setting is that, you could see everybody's weaknesses, but there was a lot to be learned from people's strengths as well. Mm. So what really got me through it, probably two things. One was just a, a really firm determination, an incredible determination that even now when I look back, I think, gee, I don't know if I'd have the determination today, the level of determination I had in that time. Yeah. And secondly, co- the collectivity and the flow of um being in a kind of the unity and the collectivity amongst ourselves, the support of the people around you who are also working working at that. Yeah. What speaks to me is that it's a combination of a calling and a conviction that this is it. Was that what brought everybody together into that place? 
Yes, I think so. I think we'd ha- we we each had our own uh, stories and kind of trod our own paths there. And I think, but I think that was a common thread that yeah. it had been. You know, people had realised on their own wherever they, they were at that this was something well, really then. important and really valuable and worth suffering for. And really, you know, we we did really suffer at times. We, yeah. Um, in that environment, but I think it was yeah definitely along those lines that we all had our own kind of road to that place and and road beyond it as well it was definitely some some the common the common threads would be that kind of feeling that i'm meant to be there i'm mm, meant to be this here. is this is yeah, exactly i'm meant to be here i'm meant yeah. to be here and i and i remember even at, at, at the worst points when i really felt that things were extremely difficult for me i felt like it's extremely difficult i'm really having a very hard time but I feel this is right. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. right for me. Yeah. Did you have any idea what you were getting into before you got there? When you- <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I didn't. You know, I really didn't. I remember um, the first night I got there, I had travelled. So I travelled from Sao Paulo in, in Brazil yeah Copenhagen and from Copenhagen I had traveled up by train and then somebody picked me up from a small village station and I was very hungry actually I'd had a few snacks I was very hungry and I I got to this place at about dinner time and everybody was sitting in silence eating cornflakes and milk and I just, <laughs> just a tremendous clash in my mind because I just thought the last thing I feel like eating now is cornflakes and milk at dinner time. And I asked one of the brothers and he said, well, you know, Dada, our trainer, he wasn't very happy with, with the fact that we were a bit sluggish in the morning and he thought he'd try an experiment of us eating a very light dinner. Yeah. And I said, you know, is there any other, is there any other food? And he just said, no. <laughs> so, so, um, the, I really didn't know what to expect, actually, and I think that was something that um, some of the others there had had a, probably a clearer expectation, but I, I really didn't. I just felt I had to go here. I had to go there, and right. I need to do this. And on many occasions, I remember thinking, if I had known, I never would have come here. <laughs> <laughs> if I had known how hard this would be, you know, I would have chickened out. <laughs> We have yeah. something in common. Every time I made big decisions for my life, Jehan, I always said to myself, "Oh, thank God I didn't know too much, because I, otherwise I wouldn't do what I, what I choose to do." I understand this feeling. <laughs> okay, big deal, surprise! Wow, uh, obviously it's it's quite shocking. As you said, it's for every level of your being. It was quite, quite a contrast in a way from what you used to. How did you manage? Well, it was a really intense. You kind of get swept up in the flow. So it's a really intense routine. You get up at four, you do your physical training, you go for a run in the snow, you do your push-ups and all your exercise, have a shower by five, ready to meditate. And it's a kind of, it's a really full routine in a sense, even though there's a lot of time for silence has a lot of time for meditation but it's a really full routine so you just kind of put yourself into that flow mm-hmm. now how i relate that to with with uh, things now for me is that 
I decide things when my mind is clear and I decide things when I've really got a lot of clarity and and focus and I understand and then I stick to them because I think sometimes when you kind of get into the nitty-gritty of doing something, you need to be aware and you need to be able to adjust. But ultimately, you don't always have that clarity. So you need to sort of take the decisions when you've got the clarity and then follow through. And of course, you need to reevaluate and have a think and say, well, how is this going for me at some point? But I always think the time when you're feeling a bit down or the time when you're feeling like, this is a real challenge, how am I going to get through this? That's not the time to question whether you should be doing it. Mm. That's the time to either adjust yourself or find a way forward but it's not the time to kind of start looking at the big picture. So I think two kinds of thinking which help me. One is once you sort of put yourself in the program to do something, you know, find the way to do it. And second, when you've got the big picture view and you can see with clarity, that's when you want to think of the big goal and, and make the plan towards it and think, well, I'll have to go through this and I might not know how to get through it, but I'll find the way. So a kind of thinking on your feet, I think. So for me, it was, as I said, you've got to have the determination and you've got to keep refreshing that determination and that inspiration. Yeah. And at the same time, be sensitive. You know, it's not, a, it's, not a, uh, it's not a process of not listening to what's going on. And I think, you know, you've, those are the kind of ideas which you're delving into as well, which is how do I listen to yeah. what my mind and body is telling me? And how do I take that on board in a way that's going to meaningfully incorporate it, that's going to be valuable for me, that's going to inform me rather than hinder where I'm going? What I resonate with with what you're just saying is the discipline that you've developed over there over a period of time through, it's actually a very structured program right? Uh, from the perspective of mind, body, and spirit, because you do have to do a lot of physical activities and sports, uh, yoga and all this. And then you have time to learn. So this is for your mental capacity, as well as reflection, so connection to yourself. Am I correct in understanding that one of the things that the process is allowing you is to be much more present to know how to create the space and the, the efforts to be present in order to connect more with yourself and everything around you so you can make better decisions. Is that what it is? Definitely. Look, I think there is a, a very clear role for, for disciplines and for routines, and that's something that was brought home to me by monastic life. Right. And we know that life isn't always a structured process. Yes. But in a sense, structures can allow us to be free. And what I mean by that is it's not that we want to live with a certain dogma or a certain structure always confining us. But in a sense, we need certain things in order to form a base. And once we have that base, which is in part given to us by structure, it kind of gives us the freedom to build something up. It gives us the freedom of being in a position of strength, both internally, externally in the world, to create, to think beyond. Yeah. 
to set some new goals, to look at the environment and respond to it rather than reacting. Mm-hmm. So as you've made the point, being aware in the moment, being present, that's a big part of meditation. Yeah. It's a big part of intuitive life and, and we really need to be able to bring ourselves to the present in order to not just give our attention 100% to a cause or to a, to a moment, but to bring all our faculty to how can we do things differently. You know, quite a lot of people come to me and say things like, are you just on autopilot? Do you just run your life on autopilot? You know, there's a lot of things which we can do without thinking too much. Even driving a car becomes like that. You know, we're sort of, we're not really thinking 100% about driving a car because we've got all of this information in us which allows us to just operate a vehicle and think about something else and listen to the radio and have a conversation now that kind of ability is in part due to the capacity which we've developed so once we develop our capacity to a certain level then we've got the mental energy we've got the mental focus to focus on something new to focus on something beyond now when we're really in a challenging situation or a, a situation that needs an ingenious response or a new response or a creative solution, then being very, very present allows us to glean, you know, to catch things from that situation that we can actually work with. And I think, you know, that's a large part of how the abilities and the techniques of meditation can be beneficial in other ways. It allows us to live in the present. And apart from that, it's also about enjoying life. It's also about, it's not just for work, it's not just for achieving, but it's also about enjoying life. I mean, if you're a parent or you're someone, you know, who's got children or people that you value, can you give your attention to be with them, not just intellectually responding to them, but emotionally? Can you be present in the moment with all your feelings and your emotions and your thoughts and your understanding? Can you bring that to a present to really enrich a relationship, whatever it might be? It might be a parent-child relationship. It might be a, you know, a loving partner relationship. It might be a relationship with family. Yeah. Can you do it? Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, living in the present, being able to be aware of where we're at internally and and be balanced with that and be at peace with that also helps to bring us into a present moment, if you know what I mean. Yes, yes, definitely. This is also one of many things that we have in common is when we were young, <laughs> we wanted to make a dent in the world in a positive way, right? And yes, we are somehow very driven to do that. We take risks, both of us. What I have noticed for myself, and I'm glad you said this and you raised this, is to make sure that there is also joy as we are achieving. For my personal growth, I had a burnout in 2008, and at that moment, there was no joy at all. Leading to burnout, there was no joy at all in achieving. It's all just about achieving and, and in the way that I couldn't even control myself anymore. So it's almost like I'm this a fast car, you know, going down the hill with no brakes almost. 
in the in the years prior to this experience, I recognized there was joy, but it was way smaller proportion wise compared to mm-hmm. the desire to achieve. And and I'm so glad you raised the point of there has to be it it needs to bring up positive emotions, and being present is mandatory for that, and and actually helping to remind us that it's not about achieving all the time. Yes. Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> it's a hard way around to learn, but hey. We <laughs> <laughs> what actually meditation does to our, our body and our mind? One of the things that was advised to me when I was recovering from burnout was meditation. And uh, because I was so desperate to stop the situation where I was, I was just doing everything that I was recommended to try. And I did the meditation. It made me feel better, but I still couldn't explain to myself what happened to my body when I did that helped me make myself feel better. Yes. Look, um, there's a lot of research, um, a lot out of the United States, actually, that's looking at what meditation's doing at uh, alpha, beta level, what it's doing in the mind, what it's doing in the body. And I think uh, that's great. You know, I'm really happy to see science validating, you know, what we already know in many respects about meditation. And I think, personally, the best laboratory is our own body and mind and what we can feel and what we can understand. So as, as an exploration of, of truth, we take science as the pursuit of truth. What do we find out in terms of the truth, our own truth? Not because, you know, I said it or you said it or somebody else grand has, has laid, laid a claim to this, but rather what can we experience? It really calms the body down. It calms the mind down. And there's a few things that we realize when we start meditating. And some of those are that the mind is always moving. The mind always needs a focal point. So if I say to you, think about nothing, you, 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 nothing will, will be some kind of object for you. You'll think, well, I'm thinking of a white, or I'm, thinking of, <laughs> I'm thinking of some music, or I'm thinking of something. So the mind needs an object, Okay. Um, the mind needs something to focus on, and the mind is always moving. So if you were to observe your mind over the course of two minutes, you'll see a myriad of thoughts have passed through my mind. You know, so many thoughts have passed through my mind in just one minute. So, But the mind has this incredible capacity. So how do I feel when I think a certain way? Our feelings and our mind and our thoughts, they're all really very, very closely linked. They're all very, very closely interrelated. And that's the relationship that we begin to explore when we meditate. And ultimately in meditation, what we are doing is taking control of those things. You know, our mind's been roaming all over the place. So many thoughts, so many ideas. Our feelings are all... So, so vast level of feelings, ups, the ups and the downs. So ultimately with meditation, what we're doing is becoming very, very aware of those things, not to suppress them, to, to bring them within us, to bring them within our realm of consciousness, to bring them within our awareness 
and to move them, to bring them into a form that will be constructive for us to move forward. So basically what happens, it, you're quite busy when you're meditating in a way, internally. Yes. yes, that's right. So it's a very dynamic state. And, yeah. and I should say there are different kinds of meditation. Um, there's a meditation which is about pure awareness. It's about bringing our awareness to the present. It's about using the breath, for example, to mm. become highly aware of, of the moment. The meditation that I practice has five or six different lessons to it. But in essence, this meditation is about trying to bring the small mind and the small mind together with that deeper mind, really connect the mind more deeply. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you get similar effect through, say, walking in the woods? So you're not necessarily sitting down, but walking in the woods observing the woods? Yeah, that's a great question. And many people say to me, for me, surfing is my meditation. Or for me, when I go into the garden and I start working with the plants and getting involved with these things, I get this kind of feeling and I get into the present and I connect in a way that is really a meditation for me and I, that is certainly a, a form of meditation mm -hmm. and it's certainly the kind of mental aspects that we associate with meditation and I'd like to encourage people then to from that beginning point look to the deeper aspects of meditation which is mm -hmm. how can I really take my mind deep within so that I feel the interconnectedness of myself with not just every other being, but with the entire universe, so that I feel that I am actually one with all. It's a really beautiful journey. It's a journey that we can make with our minds every single time once we've practiced it and kind of developed it. It's sort of like forming a pathway through the woods, if you like. Let's say you you walk on this pathway once and you've sort of cleared it, you've made a, a bit of a clear way as you walk through it. And every time when you walk it, it becomes a, a path that your mind can make more easily. Mm -hmm. uh, if I make that metaphor, that's what the journey of meditation is like. So once you kind of make that movement and connect the mind up in that way, you feel it and you can kind of walk it more easily. You can walk through those tracks more easily. Mm -hmm. So I, I think definitely the meditative aspects that we get from doing things that bring peace, that bring happiness, that bring solitude, that bring a sense of connectedness, there are definitely, we can refer to those as meditation. And I think meditation also has much more to offer the more deeply we go into it. Uh, so the origins of meditation uh, uh, and yoga practice, as a, you know, we know yoga is a really saturated term. You know, we, we think of it as those exercises or that class. But, you know, the, the practice of yoga has been around for more than 10,000 years. And we know that these, these ancient practices have got very, very, not only rich histories, but there's much to learn and much to explore within ourselves, within these really rich practices. 
so when you finish this this training you you became like a, a yoga and meditation teacher was that the mission yeah that's right so when i finished in sweden i taught in stockholm for a while in an area called gamla stan which is a beautiful old town of stockholm looked after a little center we had there yeah. and from there in i went over to india and i did some more training in varanasi which was again very very tough <laughs> uh, really a very very tough place and um uh, uh you know a, a really interesting experience as well i ended up getting quite sick in that uh you know drinking some some well water that wasn't that good and uh but it was a really fantastic experience as well and i i learned from this country that just lives and breeds spirituality if you like and has such an incredible history and it was an incredible place to 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 learn so i learned uh, i did a bit more study there and and yeah so my, the final goal was being qualified as a meditation teacher yeah and being able to to uh, teach the lessons of meditation myself Yeah. Um, which I which I did do, and I, I from there and I travelled on to Argentina, and I worked in South America for about five or six years. And uh, my role in South America was kind of twofold. It was you know largely working in the not for profit sector, setting up some projects, mm-hmm. uh, working with marginalised people, working with with vulnerable groups such as the street kids on the on the outskirts of Buenos Aires city. Uh, setting up some schools in Brazil, so it was really um, very, very inspiring work and tough work. It's yeah. really uh, kind of grassroots kind of work. And at the same, I was doing a lot of teaching, so I spent a lot of time traveling, teaching meditation, giving lectures in universities and other places about the the benefits of meditation and the importance of this practice. Uh, in Brazil, teaching other teachers. Brazil's a huge country, actually, so it was a lot of a lot of traveling around to present courses and 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 teach meditation and and the practices of yoga around Argentina and Brazil and and a few of the other South American countries. So I spent yeah quite a few years doing that. At some point, I decided that I needed to to make a decision about where I was going with all of that, and um, that's when. I really started to think. Well, am I going to reconnect? I, I'd sort of spent, you know, spent a lot of time away from my family, who I was previously very close to. Spent a lot of time working very, very hard with the kind of motivation that we've talked about. You know, to really do something, to make a change, to see a change in the world that I could be happy with, and to see that. I'd made a contribution, which is something that I, I really had an ambition to do. And unfortunately, um, around that time, I started to get very run down. A lot of time, sort of spent on buses and planes, and mm. and I'm um, not eating particularly well in the sense that I wasn't eating unnutritious food, but I wasn't eating much at all because I was just so busy and doing so much and, and moving around so much. And I ended up uh, I wasn't 100% well actually, and I came back to Australia. And I uh, spent some time with uh, with a friend here in Australia in Perth. Yes. And I just needed to recover myself, and 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 that was, a, I think, a, a big moment for me to again then step back and say, well, what's the bigger picture, and and what am I doing within it? And that was yeah. sort of led to led led to me being where I am today, I guess. But yeah. So then, in total, the journey 
in the monastery, etc. That would be what about a decade or so in total. Well, reaching up there, probably about seven or eight years in total, including the the monastic time, and then working working in South America, probably about yeah eight or nine years, almost a decade, I guess. Yeah. 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 What was the life like as a monk? Well, yeah, that's a great question. It was really, uh, it's a very disciplined life. It's a life where the the kind of monk I was, there's there's various kinds of pe- workers in working in various capacities, from kind of te- uh, teaching to doing uh, medical aid to setting up projects to working in various capacities of social service and humanitarian work. And mm-hmm. the common thread is really the the disciplines and, of course, the ideals that that support that. But day to day life, it's uh, it's really tough. I mean, you don't you don't really have anything of your own for one. I had a mm. couple of uh, sets of clothes and uh, a few few belongings, a pair of shoes, a jacket that I'd use, and I'd just hand wash those and everywhere wherever I was. Mm-hmm. And I'd get up very early in the morning, do my meditation. Do some chanting, do some some spiritual practices, some some yoga asanas. Mm-hmm. Then basically launch into the work, and and really um, the work would be in my case, uh, as I've said before, setting up some projects, doing a lot of teaching, doing a lot of lecturing, um, teaching people one on one, as well as you know creating seminars and creating the kind of learning platforms for people to inter- engage and interact with these with these with these practices but beyond that on a personal level you really you've got of course other monks and and nuns who are you know doing the same kind of work and but you're also quite isolated you're quite independent you've really got to mm. draw your inspiration from within your life mm. is hard and industrious mm-hmm. uh, apart from being very disciplined you know you do four four days of full fasting every month you, you eat simply and you eat the food that you've got. Um, it's a strict diet. Um, mm. You're very strict with your practices. And you're very strict in the way that you interact with people as well because the idea behind your mission and your personal commitment to, to being a teacher and being a monk is really that you're there to serve. You're there to serve mm. the society. You're there to definitely go as deep within as you can and draw inspiration from the depths of meditation from the deepest deepest place you can within but then really to translate that into something that's meaningful to translate that into something that really makes a difference in the world so you're not there you're not there to take you're there to to really give of yourself and every interaction that you come up with is really yeah about that it's about giving of yourself yeah so as a, would you would it be fair to say that in monkhoodness the belief is that it is more important to give than to take most certainly yes i think it is okay. i think that's really a, the the fundamental thing is self realization and service to humanity and yeah. service is really um, an idea that you're going to treat uh, every person everyone that you come across as somebody who you can potentially do something for when you were sharing your life as a monk you know with just having the clothes that you're wearing and you had to wash uh, one that you're not using or wearing the image that came to my mind was a turtle 
It's like you're going everywhere with your with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jehan is, was a turtle, but uh, joke aside, something very interesting. I want to ask you: How did you feel to earn money for you for the things that you are giving or for the service that you're providing after nine years not having so much interaction? In that yeah, way. Yeah, look, um, money is a really, um, yeah, it's it's a very necessary part of life. Yes. And um, I think how I felt was, I've, I still feel it now, is that yeah. I feel like I never want to work for money. Yeah. <laughs> I never I never go to work for money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even when I um, when I first came back to Australia, a short time after, I was offered a, like a fairly lucrative job and uh, it was, I had to sort of choose between that and um finishing medical school and, and that was a no-brainer mm. for me but I guess what I'm getting at is for me money does not get me out of bed it's definitely a part of life and I I think about it to the degree that I need to have a budget and I need to have some planning around money but I never think um, in terms of money to be honest I think in terms of mm. what I want to achieve and what's going to inspire me more so and and I think, um, you know, very early on, I realized that in, in, in terms of, as you know, when we worked uh, in the business world, the business world really moves with the beat of, uh, of profits and of money as, as well as other things. I really felt like I'm not motivated by money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, still not, yeah. I'm still not motivated by money. But I really do acknowledge that money has a very important place. In a sense, I think it's... Um, I know I need to I need to earn some money and and sometimes I'm a little bit disappointed by that. <laughs> I think well, <laughs> I just like doing things because I like to do them and I think they're good things to do. And I think that's probably the the first point for me about anything. Um, a huge amount of money is never really a motivator. I've really got to see. Look, this is something. It's really interesting. It's really engaging. It's mm-hmm. got good values behind it and values that I feel comfortable with as a person. I yeah. feel this is an expression of me. So I think that's really what I look for in a work setting. Can I express myself in this setting? Can I mm-hmm. give something which I want to be giving that I feel good about giving? I hope you have enjoyed these conversations as much as I have. The next episode offers more golden nuggets for you to take. However, If you feel inspired to go through a structured and deep process to revisit the sets of inner beliefs that you have now running your life and to decide whether you want to keep some of them or to instill new beliefs, reach out to me. As a life coach and a subconscious mind reprogrammer, I will hold a space for you to do so and facilitate a set of process for you to reach your deepest part of yourself and to instill new beliefs. You can reach me through astuti at upliftmylife.today.